Blog Talk Radio. Marcia Joyner, and you're tuned into Betrayed by Hospice, brought to you in coordination with Marcel Reed and the Whistleblower Summit and our producer, Marty Oakley. They provide us this forum to give you important information that others don't want you to know, but the reality is it might save your life one day or your loved ones. Many who may be listening have experienced the loss of a loved one to hospice or a hospital or a nursing home where your loved one was not treated humanely, often followed by a hastened death. Some people are still under a misconception that these places are safe for you and your loved ones, and they mistakenly do not verify what they are being told. And it is true that originally hospice was created to provide care and show compassion to people who were actively dying and couldn't be treated with medications. It was also meant to minimize pain but it was never meant to drug them into a coma, resulting in a hastened death. But today, countless people are being lulled into a false sense of safety, and they're being euthanized with toxic drugs like morphine, Ativan, Versid, Haldol, Fentanyl, among others. It is a one-size-fits-all, and the result is a hastened death for unsuspecting people. And why they're doing this? Because it costs less money to kill than hell. And there is a big difference between the concept of people deciding that they want to die and they go to the doctor, they request drugs to end their life for, for whatever reason. And I'm not passing judgment on someone who makes a rational decision based on facts to determine they want to end their journey sooner. The problem is when someone doesn't know the facts and isn't the one making the decisions and it's a nurse or a doctor God forbid, as we've heard, a family member who wants the inheritance or doesn't want to be burdened. That is the slippery slope that we're facing. Currently, there are nine states in the United States that allow for assisted suicide or medical aid in dying, and they call it MAID, which is to allow someone to legally take their own life with doctor-prescribed medication to avoid suffering from something like cancer, The states that allow this, California, Colorado, Hawaii, Maine, New Jersey, Oregon, Vermont, Washington, and the District of Columbia. And they do have gates or rules or what they call guidelines put in place to prevent mayhem, but it's doubtful they're really following them, and I don't believe that they are safeguarding people who cannot fend for themselves. This week, the fine state of Oregon just determined that they will accept patients from other states. So that goes against the doctors determining the residency and knowing the patient and their history and the mental status. I believe it's more part of the plan for more people to agree to die. 
And in the case of hospice, the patient doesn't sign up for, doesn't agree to be murdered, and per Vitus.com and other hospice websites that you go to, they keep saying enroll sooner, enroll sooner into hospice. Why? So they can end your life sooner? Yes. To me, it is disgusting when people make money off of killing other people, and that is what it is. The sanctity of life for the unborn, handicapped, and aged has been tossed aside, and it has become a huge killing field. I want to share a couple of resources with you before I introduce our guest, who will go into these topics and other topics in more detail. Knowledge is power. And you will need it one day because we'll all get old and everybody will need an advocate to protect us in our darkest hours. Halovoice.org is an excellent site to acquire information on drugs that they use as well as a medical document that can help protect you and your loved ones. They have a helpline, 888-221-4256. Or if you're better with letters, that's 888-221-HALO, H-A-L-O. And they're always looking for volunteers to help. So if this has happened to you, you're aware of what's going on and you want to help, please reach out to them and volunteer. Another resource, Life Legal Defense Foundation, has access to pro-life attorneys in most states, and they might be able to help get your loved one out of a facility. A previous guest and former hospice respiratory therapist, Michelle Young-Dewers, wrote an excellent book titled, Appropriately, Killing for Profit, The Dark Side of Hospice. In this book, she shares real-life stories and information on what happens inside the doors of hospice. It's an excellent book written by a warrior who advocates for the elderly and disabled. Currently, it is on sale at a discount price with Amazon. And lastly, but not least, is Euthanasia Prevention Coalition Canada, or United States has a side to that as well. In Canada, euthanasia is legal, where in the U.S. they either call it assisted suicide with the states that I mentioned earlier, or they do it undercover with the guise of compassionate care, and they call that hospice. The end result is the same. An unsuspecting person dies before their natural time with toxic drugs, starvation, and dehydration. At least, Canada is boldly saying they're killing people who they deem are not worthy. Our guest tonight is Alex Schattenberg, and he is the founder and executive director of Euthanasia Prevention Coalition Canada where he has been a prominent figure for 23 years advocating for the elderly and the disabled. The coalition believes that killing people is never a solution to human difficulties, and they work to introduce legislative bills to protect people or fight bills that do not support life. Alex is an active leader in the battle, trying to change the culture of death and warning people about the dangers. On a personal side, Alex has six children, so I know there's never a dull moment in his life. This past weekend, he was busy sponsoring, and I assume running around the bay, a 30K road race in Hamilton, Ontario, to raise money for the coalition. 
Alex, I'm honored to have you back on our show tonight, and I know you have a lot of information to share with us. So I'm going to turn the mic over to you and let you tell us how the race went and what is currently going on in your battle against euthanasia. Well, the uh, I don't want to get too much into the race. It was a rough day for me. I actually uh, uh, pulled a muscle on Sunday and uh, I had a very painful sort of time doing 30K. Nonetheless, uh, uh, I've been very busy lately with uh, uh, what's been going on, and I did a few talks recently. So I was in Dayton, Ohio on Monday night, and um, I was also in uh, the area around Coldwater, Michigan. Well, actually, it was Bronson, Michigan on, on Tuesday night speaking. And now I'm back now speaking with this group. So this is wonderful uh, to have the opportunity to talk about these things, other than the fact that some of the things I have to say are bad news. You know, for instance, most people in the U.S., um, have been fighting, you know, we've been, we've been fighting assisted suicide in state after state after state. So what happens is the assisted suicide lobby, they introduce bills all over the U.S. every year, and most of those bills are being defeated every year. Uh, some of those bills passed last year, for instance, sadly, uh, the bill passed in New Mexico, which was the most, um, how would you say, the most permissive bill in the U.S. that exists. Uh, and But we, we were very successful in defeating bills in like seven or eight other states last year, and a couple of years, we even had uh, bills in like 20 states that were all defeated. So, you know, the success has been excellent in defeating these bills. But the assisted suicide lobby isn't happy with uh, just, you know, having 10 states in the U.S. or nine states and then uh, uh, the District of Columbia with legalized assisted suicide. So on Monday, uh, the Oregon uh, Health Authority and uh, the Attorney General, et cetera, in Oregon made a deal with Compassion and Choices that they're going to drop their residency requirement. So what happened is last October, the assisted suicide lobby and one of the physicians in Oregon uh, launched a, a lawsuit or a court case to strike down the residency requirement in Oregon, meaning that if you, if you uh, ask to die by assisted suicide in Oregon, you have to be an Oregon resident. Now, the importance of that is, uh, you know, people uh, don't want to be, you know, the state of Oregon didn't want to become what you call a, suicide tourist state where people go there just to die. Nonetheless, on, uh, on Monday, the state agreed to, uh, to remove that residency requirement. So our great concern now is that uh, people from across the U.S. will start going to Oregon to die. And this is a very, uh, very sad reality because, of course, uh, all these states continue to defeat assisted suicide bills, but now by Oregon doing this, people will go from different places where uh, their governments have said over and over again, this is not the right thing. This is the wrong thing to do to be killing people. And yet, uh, you know, Oregon will be able to do those deaths in the state of Oregon. Now, of course, this is a serious problem because what's going to happen now is that other states will also face that same pressure because there's several other states that have legalized the suicide. So what the assisted suicide lobby obviously decided is we're not going to legalize assisted suicide in, in, in most states. Most states are going to reject it. Therefore, those states that have passed it, if we remove the residency requirement, then people can come into that state and, and die there. Now, if you say, well, Alex, you know, these are just terminally ill people anyway. They're nearing death and they're doing this voluntarily. Well, first of all, that's not really how it works. Uh, but the fact of it is, is that these laws actually are all about the rules that the doctor must follow to cause your death. They say this is all about freedom, choice, and autonomy, but that's a lie. It's not about freedom, choice, or autonomy when somebody else is agreeing that your life is not worth living and prescribing lethal drugs to you and then encouraging you to take those lethal drugs to die by, by suicide. This is not about freedom, choice, and autonomy. 
And when we go into all the data, they say, oh, it's just about ending pain and suffering. Well, you know, yes, there are some people who go through significant pain and suffering who are asking for assisted suicide, but most people, it's not about that at all. It's that they feel their life has lost purpose, has lost meaning. They have decided that they don't want to be a burden on others. They have decided mm-hmm. that their life, uh, they feel that their life, that they are better off dead. And often it's a societal message that they've received, that, they, that they're better off dead. Somebody might be suggesting, I wouldn't want to live like you. And so people most often are choosing to die by assisted suicide or asking to die by assisted suicide, uh, not because of pain or suffering. You see that in the data. No, it's usually for other social reasons why they're asking for this. So when we come down to the whole issue, you realize that this is all about uh, how we treat the other human being. So, you know, this is a difficult issue because we, we are talking about life and death, right? This is what it's about. And it's a very difficult thing to realize that uh, a lot of people are now thinking that uh, killing somebody is better than caring for them. And this is where the culture has been moving. I just uh, did, as I say, uh, recently a few uh, talks and I emphasize in those talks the importance of the culture that we live in, right, and how the culture has shifted and how it's important for people who believe that other human life as well as their own human lives are sacred, that, are, that human life is not just to be killed, not just to be, you know, ended, not just to be discarded in, that in fact that at the same way we recognize the importance of how we care for other people. And I think this is a central issue here, how the society has become radically individual and we lost the sense of the importance of the caring for each other and i think this has really been how would you say feeding this whole death mentality because everyone is looking at it only through the eyes of themselves and yet at the same time if we looked at at this whole issue through the eyes of others we realized that you know when my friend is lonely and going through a difficult time maybe the best thing i need to be doing is spending time with them and journeying with them and actually caring for them. But this is where we're at. The culture has gone this way, as we see. We talk about these things all the time and where it's going, and this is where it's going. Anyway, I'm not sure else where else we want to go, but I want to talk about also the whole thing about this lie, the big lie that they say this is a death with dignity. Right? That's what they're trying to sell with us. They, they wave the flag of death with dignity. They say what we're going to do is we're going to end human suffering. So, you know, everybody, and, you know, it doesn't matter what point of view you come from. We, no, nobody wants to die a bad death. We know that. That no. this is a reality. And that's why it's so important to care for other people. And that's why the original meaning of hospice, the original meaning of, you know, dealing with someone's, um, you know, pain and symptoms and being with them and caring for them until their final days and ensuring that they actually do have a, a good death amongst people who care for them, that was actually the right idea. Nonetheless, what we've seen is uh, this whole thing being sold to us oh, well, we can end your life, and you can avoid a bad death. And so they're saying that this is all about ending pain and suffering, but it's all a lie. It's all a lie. So when we look at what's been happening over the last few years, is several years ago the assisted suicide lobby started, started out doing these lethal drug experiments. Now, I think you had Dr. Toffler on a few weeks ago talking a little bit about some of these things, about how these drugs work and everything. Exactly, and right. That's exactly it. And, 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 and Dr. Toffler knows more about this than, than almost anybody else. He's, he's very, very knowledgeable on the use of, these, of how these drugs work and how they interact in the human body. But they're trying to tell you that, that people are going to have this peaceful death. And so what they're doing is they're, they're selling assisted suicide based on the fear that people have. 
And these are normal fears. You know, I'm a human being. You're a human being. People listen to us. We're all the same. We, 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 we have fear of, of pain and suffering. This is normal, and we understand that. That's not, you know, it's not like I'm harsh or, or I don't care about people. I just recognize it's wrong to kill people, but I also recognize to tell you that the other side is lying to you. So what are they actually doing? They started experimenting on different types of drug combinations because they wanted to find a cheaper way to kill. They decided that, you know, assisted suicide uh, was becoming, the drugs they used for assisted suicide were becoming expensive. And so what they just decided to do is they would look through and try and figure out different drug combinations. And it didn't work out very well for them. And they didn't publicize it on purpose because people would have been aghast to think that this group of people who are telling everybody, oh, we believe in death with dignity, we believe in giving you a peaceful, painless death, is what they were trying to sell to people, that in fact they were causing incredibly, they were causing long, drawn-out deaths that sometimes were incredibly painful. Uh, one of the drugs they use in the assisted suicide combinations that they're using today causes uh, the throat to burn. So these people are screaming in pain as their death is approaching. Now, they use drug combinations, so, so they do have this highly, uh, they have, one of the drugs they're using is a very heavy, heavy sedative. So often, yes, someone does fall asleep within a reasonably quick period of time, but that doesn't mean they're dying immediately, okay? And this is a very important point to this whole thing, that in fact, their whole flag they're waving about a death with dignity is a lie, and they know it's a lie. When you go to the website of the, uh, of the uh, organization of the, assisted suicide providers they have a website where they provide uh, information and updates for all the other assisted suicide doctors who who do this they admit that yes oh yeah these these drugs do cause uh, significant pain sometimes these deaths take quite a long time absolutely they, they acknowledge it all but they say yes but you know we're here to cause you know the death of someone who asked for it so they justify all of this when, in fact, what they've actually done is they've created this whole system of human experimentation in order to find a cheap way to cause death. And, you know, there's been so little written about it, and I've written about it, and a few others have written about it, but, in fact, in the major media and in the wider sense of things, it's been ignored. And, of course, the reason it's ignored is nobody wants to talk about how, of course, the whole thing is a lie. It's, all, it's been alive for a very long time, and, right. they're, and they're trying to bamboozle people into this concept of, of a painless, you know, death and everything. The other thing they talk about, oh, and you mentioned this in the beginning, you talked about the safeguards, but you remember, in all of these states that legalize assisted suicide, now they're moving, first of all, to remove the safeguards, but secondly, all of them, the definitions do not mean what you think they mean, because remember... Everything is based on what the language actually says, not what you want it to say, right? So, for mm-hmm. instance, in these laws, they say you have to be six months from death. So they say, Alex, what are you worried about? These people are terminally ill. They have to be six months from death. And I say, well, what does the terms that they're using in the law actually mean? What does it actually mean? It means that you have to be within six months of death. That's estimated. Who knows what that means? Like, you know, these estimations often don't work out well. But secondly, it's not actually even based on that. It's based on if you do not accept treatment. So there's lots of people who have medical conditions 
where they require treatments, such as if they have certain heart issues, if they have diabetes, they have to take insulin. So they have these chronic conditions that require treatment, and of course they live a fine and good life. But if they decide they don't want treatment anymore, it could result in their death. Those people now qualify for assisted suicide based on the definitions in the law. So they say, oh, it has to do with six months. No, it doesn't have to do with six months. It has to do with six months, but you don't have to accept treatment. So obviously speaking, there's lots of conditions that qualify. The other thing is they say, oh, you know, we're going to have these waiting periods. Well, now they've changed these laws. They're changing them. They're saying, well, there's a waiting period, but the doctor can waive the waiting period if the doctor thinks you're going to die soon. So in fact, what does that mean? There's no actual waiting period. So, you know, for instance, in the state of Oregon and now with uh, New Mexico, uh, the uh, California law was recently changed. It means someone can have a same-day death. Same-day death means I die on my my bad day, the day I'm having my emotional difficulties, where I might have, you know, I might have a medical condition, which is somewhat significant, but nonetheless, the day I'm dying is not my day of freedom, it's, a, it's my bad day. It's the day I'm most deeply down. It's the day I'm saying I can't live any longer. And instead of society providing help, what are we doing? We can provide a same-day death to these people. And that's what these laws what are now you, allowing. What if you walked in, you just found out, you, a doctor tells you you have cancer. And yeah. he does, they don't know how long you're going to live, right? But he says you have cancer. Could you go at that point, you could go in and say, you know, I've got six months or less to live and I want to die. You know, finding out you have cancer is shocking. And right. you're not mentally, emotionally able to make decisions. You, you know, you, that's, there's a whole lot that you've got to absorb. But if you walk in and you tell a doctor, I want to die today, then they can kill you that day. That's what you're saying, right? Well, how it works is it wouldn't quite work that way based on the fact that first you need to have a prognosis. So you'd obviously need more than just the doctor saying, oh, you have cancer. They'd probably have to do some sort of exploratory nature to it to find out how far your cancer is along. Because along. I guess certainly the law is not based on whether the, – the law is based on how long you might die if you don't accept treatment. But, mm-hmm. you know, these things are very variable. Somebody, somebody can live a long time if the cancer is at an early stage. So, obviously speaking, there would need to be some sort of prognosis. Nonetheless, uh, when we look at this, this situation, we realize that it's not what people are saying it is. And that's my point. It's far from what people are saying it is. And it also includes chronic conditions and the fact that if someone has a chronic condition that requires, as I say, insulin, then, in fact, they would then qualify if they say no to insulin. And this is an important point. The laws are not exactly what you say. But most recently, which really throws this thing out into the, how would you say, the deep water, you could say, is the recent uh, reports coming out about assisted suicide for anorexia. And I wrote quite a bit about this now because these reports started coming out. We saw something about it uh, earlier in the year published by the assisted suicide lobby website that, you know, they they advise each other. And there was a report published saying assisted suicide for anorexia is acceptable. So what the situation is, is even though anorexia in all of its, um, you know, uh, physicians, et cetera, who've done a lot of research on it, they have always defined it as a chronic condition. 
it's not a terminal condition. Now, yes, people do die from not eating. That's absolutely correct. And we know that's very sad and that's very horrible for people to, to go through and experience, etc. But it is a chronic condition. There are lots of stories of people who even were very much down the road with anorexia where they were their their condition had progressed beyond what anybody would consider you know very difficult and yet they did recover so we don't have a situation where this is a clearly a terminal condition and yet now they're doing assisted suicide for anorexia so there was a doctor in in uh, Colorado who was recently published because uh she wrote a paper on the fact that she had done three assisted suicides of people with anorexia. And now you see in the latest Oregon stats where they list anorexia as a reason why people died by assisted suicide. So we don't know if there was one, two, three. We just don't know how many. All we know is it was listed, so there was at least one, if not more, who died by assisted suicide in Oregon. So what's the important point about this point? Well, it means that the assisted suicide lobby is once again working to expand the concept of assisted suicide from what you would normally consider as a terminal condition to someone with a chronic condition. Because clearly, anorexia, when you read all the major studies, when you read all the uh, the most important studies that have been done, you know, uh, there's a couple of studies that, that was the one study I reported on because I was trying to find what I would consider probably the key study in anorexia. So there was a study done that, that followed people for 22 years so people entered the study who had anorexia, and they were followed for 22 years. They had multiple than, than uh, times where they were being, uh, you know, interviewed, etc. Nowhere in the study does it in any way refer to the condition as being terminal. And in that study, uh, you know, it wasn't that great a number of people who actually died from anorexia. And yet, um, the reality was that it showed that people even after nine years of treatment, if they had not recovered after nine years, that at least half of those people who had not recovered after nine years of treatment, you'd say nine years of treatment, Alex, that person must be terminal. That's a long time to receive treatment and still have, uh, a, uh, have this eating disorder. And yet even that, with that, they showed that half of the people who had not recovered after nine years recovered then uh, between the ninth year and the, and the uh, 18th year. So it's very important to see that it's a long-term struggle, but people can get better. But the assisted suicide lobby doesn't care about that. They they wrote in their assessment of it that they agree that there's no evidence that this is a terminal condition, but they approved assisted suicide for anorexia. And now, as we see in several reports, it is going on. Uh, this is the whole thing about it. Like when I, if I'm referring to anorexia. This is one of many conditions that we would call chronic that people go through. And, and these are obviously difficult things. But nonetheless, uh, the assisted suicide lobby is interested in what? Death. That's what they're interested in. It's, this exactly. is an issue of life and death. They're interested in causing death. This is their whole focus. This is what it's about. They want to sell you that this is about freedom but it's not about freedom. They want to say this is about autonomy. It's not about autonomy. They want to say this is about peaceful deaths. Well, clearly what they're doing with their drug experimentation is not about peaceful deaths. It's all about causing deaths. It's all about ending life. It's not about freedom. It's actually about abandonment. That's what it is. It's called social cultural abandonment, and that's what it's about. 
I don't know if if you got some other ideas that maybe I should go on talking about, or, well, or did you want to project somewhere? Well, it just it's killing for pro- killing for profit. Is what it is. I mean, they're getting paid, and to them, the higher numbers that they have of assisted suicide, the more money they're going to get paid, the more people they can convince to do this. Um, I wanted to go back on, on something you had said earlier. Well, the, you said that there is an assisted suicide website. Yeah. Can you give? Can you? What is that? Assistedsuicide.org. Well, no, no. Actually, it's okay. it's, it's, it's an organization of of assisted suicide providers, and okay. I don't like I'll, to talk about it later. because because I can okay. send you that data later and links to that. Yeah. And in send, fact, send in the article I write about anorexia, you see, I do mention the name of it and everything. I, I don't okay. like yeah. talking about it too much because, of course, they give information in there that I find very difficult. If I were if I were going through suicidal ideation, some of these things that they talk about because they're justifying killing people. And mm-hmm. to me, it's very dangerous for someone who's going through a suicidal ideation. Right. Um, a lot of it's people... It's someone in a de- depression a de- or a mental state. Yeah, right. absolutely. And often those right. conditions that people are going through are temporary, and yet if they're starting to read these articles that are in there, it makes them feel that their death is necessary. And uh, to me, that's, uh, that's how dangerous these things are. We, we realize the human condition is not what a lot of people want to think it is. We're not computers, right? We are human beings. And a lot of us go through a lot of difficulties, but we go through not only physical difficulties, but we go through psychological difficulties, spiritual difficulties, emotional difficulties. And as a human being, we're all one. Eh? It's, it's all of um, intertwined characters, how we, how we are, whether you believe in creation or not. That's, the point. That's just how we are, right? So right. you don't want people who are going through suicidal ideation to read these things because it, it does affect them. It's, it clearly affects right. them. Right. It'd be de- sure. It'd be depressing to them, and you know. And I think all of us would agree. Everybody says, "I want to die in my sleep," and that's what you consider a peaceful death. But um, I appreciate you going into the fact about the different drugs that are being used. Dr. Toffler, you know, did speak about that. But sometimes you have different audiences. So even if they give you a sedative, that does not mean that you don't feel the pain and just can't say anything. You know, you just That's can't right. have a reaction. But that doesn't mean, like you were talking about the medicine burning the throat, that doesn't mean you don't feel that. It just means you can't cry out. It means you can't say, Well, at Stop. first they would cry out because when it begins, when they take the – so first of all, this is a very horrible mixture. It, it tastes horrible. It's very caustic. It's very – horrific but you know obviously it's uh, it's uh, it's to kill you um so it's not so, an injection no it's not an in- injection is euthanasia it's how they, in canada they use injection and injection okay. uh, is not the same thing in this case because of assisted suicide the person is usually taking it uh they're they're either going to take it by drinking it or they're going to take it in an iv and they have to start the iv uh, so that would be an assisted suicide an iv would be a little bit different than this Nonetheless, mm-hmm. a lot of these drugs are very horrific, in fact, the they, uh, they drug mixture. And at first, yes, they would feel that, uh, that horrific pain on their, on their throat. But as I said, uh, I was quite clear that, yeah, it has a very strong sedative nature in that drug mixture also, which means you go to sleep. And uh, by going to sleep, that does not mean you won't be relieved of the pain, though. It just means you're not responding anymore. It actually puts you in a type of a, 
and a type of a coma type situation is what it does. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, it's a very horrific drug combination. And they use this drug combination because they say, oh, you, you read this actually in this, this, I wrote an article about this where I'm quoting this uh, Dr. Shavelson, who is the uh, doctor, one of the key assistant suicide doctors of California. And he's saying, yeah, 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 it is like that. It, it, it's, it doesn't burn their throats, et cetera, but it's an effective drug, meaning it kills them. You know, and that's what we're concerned well, so about. It's effective. So does jumping off of, you know, a bridge or a mountain or, you know. A yeah. Well, these are sad foot. realities, isn't it? Right. And, so, yeah. it, I mean, it's it's suicide is what it is. And, you know, it's a permanent problem, of a permanent solution to a temporary problem in a case where someone is just mentally depressed or their family makes them feel like, you know, they're a burden to them. And so this is the only thing that I can do is to get out of the way or I'm too old. And and it is the same type thing to me as what we've experienced with our loved ones in hospice, though the difference being is they don't ask to die, but they are given um, a toxic drug cocktail that kills them and is painful because they starve and dehydrate to death. And they can sense, you know, they can hear, they know stuff is going around them, but they don't understand what's going on, and they can't cry out, and they, you know, can't swallow their water, and, you know, they're not eating. And it is murder. Yes. And they didn't ask for it. The the intention is clear. It is to kill. Anyway, just to get back to one thing, I was talking for a minute about that study about anorexia. Now, why was that important? Uh, because, of course, the assisted suicide lobby is now saying that anorexia is a terminal condition, therefore you can die by assisted suicide if you have anorexia, and people have been dying of that. So when I, I, I quoted the study, it was a 22-year study, and it had in it uh, 246 participants. So it's a significant study. It's not a minor study. What's important to know is that of the 246 participants, only 18 were known to have died within the time of that study, only 18. So I'm not saying that's, that's nothing. I'm saying it's not a terminal condition when 18 of 246 people have died. Secondly, the study did not clarify whether those 18 people who died during that study time, remember this is a 22-year study interval, mm-hmm. it doesn't clarify whether all the 18 died from anorexia or some of them died of other causes. It doesn't clarify that, but we know it clarifies that 18 of the 246 died. So, you know, it's very significant to me that now, obviously speaking, you're not going to recover from anorexia when you're dead by assisted suicide. So when I say this is all about, you know, uh, abandonment of people, that's exactly what this is. This is abandoning someone who needs good care. And, and a lot of people going through anorexia, it's related to other conditions that have experienced, they've experienced in their life, such as sexual abuse and things like that, that have, that have so uh, scarred them that it results in them having this deep uh, and set, and this deep uh, psychological issue around eating, and mm-hmm. these issues can be dealt with, and there is lots of stories of recovery. But obviously, it's to me, it's insane when we're talking about now is assisted suicide as a result of someone with anorexia. But let's go, let's go even further with this. What's happening uh, very recently? There was a case just just recently of two American women. They were sisters who died by assisted suicide in Switzerland. Neither one of them was sick. 
They were both completely healthy. One was a doctor, the other was a nurse. Uh, in fact, the one was a palliative care doctor, but I don't think that was a necessity. So in, because the one was a doctor and the other was a nurse, they claimed to the assisted suicide people in Switzerland that they were terminally ill, but they weren't sick at all. They just, for some reason, decided that their life wasn't going to be worth living, and they went to Switzerland and died by assisted suicide. Now, the crazy thing about all this is that you might say, oh, well, how could that be? Weren't the Swiss assisted suicide people concerned that these people were actually terminally ill? Isn't a law in Switzerland require them to be terminally ill? Well, the law in Switzerland does require that, but, it, but what the groups do who are involved with assisted suicide is they're requiring a doctor's letter saying, yes, this person's terminally ill. So when you have a doctor who's going from the U.S., because these two sisters were American citizens, and they're dying, but they want. They decide together for whatever reason. They had a suicide pact together. They decide they want to die by assisted suicide in Switzerland. It was uh, just an, a, a matter of trust by the assisted suicide lobby people. Oh well, they're terminally ill, and they went ahead and uh, gave them the lethal drugs. But this is the wow. kind of thing you get now. So you would say, well, that that's just a story, Alex. That just happens. Well. There was a story several years ago of an Italian. Now, remember, in Switzerland, people go from all different countries to Switzerland to die by assisted suicide because they don't have a residency requirement in Switzerland. So, as I oh, just told okay. you at the very beginning, Oregon has now Oregon. eliminated mm-hmm. their residency requirement. Well, Switzerland never had a residency requirement. So, people were flying to Switzerland from the U.S. and from Canada and different parts of Europe to die by assisted suicide. Because no, you don't have to be a Swiss citizen. The law doesn't say anything about being a citizen of the country. Anyway, so what happened is, is that uh, there was an Italian, um, quite a wealthy man, who thought he was terminally ill, but he went to Switzerland. He died by assisted suicide. Because he was a wealthy person, the family had an autopsy done after his death, and the autopsy showed that he was misdiagnosed. So he was dead. You can't come back from being dead by lethal drugs. You're dead, you're dead. But he had a misdiagnosis. So this is the kind of thing you have to start scratching your head about and wondering, okay, is it ever a good idea to be involved with killing people? Well, in a secular sense, the answer is absolutely no. In a religious sense, the answer is absolutely no. And in a human sense, if you consider the importance of being safe in our culture, now why do I say that? We need laws to prevent one person from killing another person. Assisted suicide mm-hmm. becomes the exception to those laws. It allows the doctor or the nurse to be directly involved with killing me. We need laws to protect us from each other, not because we're all terrible people, but some people do things at times to cause the death of another person. And I'm not safe in society if someone else has the right or the ability in law to kill me. Assisted suicide right. laws give doctors and in some states now nurses the right in law to kill me. And this is not a good thing ever. This is never a safe thing. This is never a good thing. No. They had the one lady, I think, in um, the United Kingdom that had said, if I ever get dementia and don't know who I am and who you are, just kill me. So yes, she got exactly, dementia. Yes. Yeah. And they try, you know, they put something in her coffee to kind of lull her into, you know, sedative-type sleep. But when they went to inject her, she was... She did not want to die, and she told them, no, no, stay away from me. She resisted. They held her down. Her family held her down and injected her 
because they said at one point she had said she wanted to die. When they had the case on that, they deter, you know, because people were saying that's not right, that's murder. And they decided, well, because, you know, the judge said because she said she wanted it, it was not murder, and they were not charged with murder. Right, that was they the held Dutch her case. down. That's exactly it. They held her down. And the doctor uh, went ahead and did the act, as you know, and she was resisting. And so the whole thing then comes, do you have the right to change your mind? And this is the problem with it. Right now, in my own country of Canada, I'll give you a a sad story of Canada. Well, we legalized euthanasia in 2016, so that's lethal injection. Assisted suicide uses the same drug combinations, but you have to take it yourself. So the difference between euthanasia and assisted suicide is who does the act. It's not the intention of the act. It's not the, it's who does the act. So euthanasia is when the doctor or the nurse would inject you, or it's assisted suicide that provides you those same drugs, you have to take it yourself. Now, anyway, the fact is, is that Canada legalized euthanasia in 2016. The original law, even though it was, had really the definitions lacked meaning, it basically required you to be terminally ill. It required you to be mentally competent. You had to be capable of, requ- of um, requesting it at the end. So what would happen is if you were approved for euthanasia, uh, you, they couldn't do the act if you, in the end, said no. So what they did is they changed the law already in March of last year. So in less than five years, our law changed from you had to be terminally ill to now you don't have to be terminally ill. Now, if you are terminally ill, you can die immediately. So they took away the waiting period. They also said that if you had asked for it previous to being incompetent and you were approved previous to being incompetent, now that you're incompetent, you can still have it. So that means that if you're incapable of, of agreeing to it at the end, they can still kill you. So the whole question of being competent, knowledgeable, is gone. That's just wiped away. And now they're talking about uh, euthanasia. And then they added euthanasia for mental illness to it. So right now the whole thing is, they're talking about how they're going to do this euthanasia for mental illness. So this is all within less than five years, where they go from you had to be terminally ill, there was a waiting period, uh, you had to be capable of consenting. So it sounded like, oh, well, that's a pretty tight law. Well, it wasn't, actually, because it was very poorly worded. So even then, it was, there was so much leeway in it, uh, it was incredible the number of people who were dying by it. But now they even wiped out that, and it goes further. So when I'm talking about how these laws work, we have to remember that uh, safeguards are sold by the assisted suicide lobby to get the law through the legislature. And then, of course, they try and amend the law afterwards because they know that it's almost impossible to get the law through if it's going to look like it would finally look, right? They have to make it look like it's going to be tight in order to get the legislature to vote for it. And that's what they're doing. So uh, in Canada, it's already gone crazy. As I say, euthanasia for mental illness. Now, how can you have euthanasia for mental illness? Like, even if you, like, I, I totally oppose euthanasia. I believe it's wrong to kill people. I think it's not safe in a culture to allow someone else to kill me. But nonetheless, uh, if you're going through mental illness, it would seem to me that there would be a really big question around your competency. And also, the other problem with mental illness is a lot of mental illnesses suicidal ideation are actually a symptom of the mental illness. So now we're going to kill you because you have suicidal ideation, and we're going to prove that killing, but in fact that's part of your illness. So instead of Mm -hmm. treating your illness, we're killing you because you're saying you want to die, but that's part of your illness. You know, it's a a crazy circular situation that they're agreeing to. Um, 
Anyway, I'm going to talk a little bit about Oregon again, because we're going to come back to the U.S. And the Oregon Assisted Suicide Report recently came out for 2021. And people say, oh, well, you know, everything's really tight in Oregon. You know, we don't really have any abuse of assisted suicide in Oregon. Don't listen to that Alex Shattenberg. He doesn't know what he's talking about, people say to you. But in fact, if you look at the actual data in the report, what does it say? It says, now first of all, here's the point. It says there was 238 reported assisted suicides, 238. But there was about 380, now what's the number? There was um, about 380 prescriptions written, 383 prescriptions were written, okay? 106 people who received lethal drugs in 2021 who approved and received them had died, but they've got no idea what happened to them. So you've got 238 reported assisted suicide deaths. So they're saying in their report there was 238 reported, there was 238 deaths. But then they say in the report there's 106 people who died who had received lethal drugs, but we don't know what happened to them, meaning we don't have a report we don't know if they died by assisted suicide. We don't know if they died a natural death. We just know they died. We don't know anything else. Okay, let's think this through. You gave 106 people lethal drugs. I already told you these are not pretty drugs. These are pretty caustic, awful drugs, but they will kill you. Uh, nonetheless, and we don't, and, and of, of those, that group of 383, 106 of them, we know die, but we don't know what happened to them. And does this sound like a system that makes any sense? It doesn't make no. any sense at all. Like, how, how can you have a system where 106 out of 383, 383 lethal prescriptions were written and picked up, 106 people, we don't know what happened to them? That's, that's just a crazy situation. It might be that you had 106 more assisted suicide deaths. It's possible. But certainly a percentage of those would have been assisted suicide deaths, but they were just never reported. And we don't know what happened. We don't know how they died. It might have been euthanasia death. It might have been that the person decided, I don't want to take the drugs, but maybe a family member thought, well, I think you're better off dead. Because remember, you've got lethal drugs in the house. Nobody knows what happened to it. Nobody exactly. knows. All they know is this person died. We don't know. And but this you is don't the know other if it's used on somebody else either. We don't know. I mean, somebody that wasn't, did not get the prescription written, you don't know that somebody didn't use that drug on somebody else. We don't know. Well, there's also right. quite a few people of these, I said 383, 106, they don't know what happened to them, but they know they died. Then 238. So there's another group of people who died. Um, okay, some of them are still alive. Okay, so that's just a reality. Well, that's they might 344. Right. So now we, some of those people are still alive. Some of them died a natural death. Okay, there was a, a small group that died, never took the drugs. Okay. But nonetheless, the report admits the 106 people who received the lethal prescriptions and died, but we don't know what happened to them. They're, they're, it says their ingestion status is unknown. We don't know what happened to them. When the status is unknown, the person may have died by assisted suicide and no report was received, or they may have died a natural death, or they may, we, we just don't know. And I think this is a crazy situation. that They talk about this in such a way because we're talking about lethal drugs. Like if you had a situation where a doctor was doing, um, you know, prescribing for people with opioid abuse or o opioid uh, overdose problems and you're trying to deal with that, their opioid addictions, and so they're putting them through a clinic, and then, and then we have a certain percentage of them, we have no idea what happened to them. 
you'd say, oh, that's a really bad situation. We don't know what's happening to these people. You would start saying, you know, you got to take away this person's medical license. But in the case of assisted suicide, it's because, oh, it's this assisted suicide. Well, we, uh, we're we going to leave that alone. We're not, we're, you know, they publish the data and no one talks about it. One physician in 2021 was referred to the Oregon Medical Board. So if you go to the Oregon Medical Board data, you realize that there was one physician who was referred to the Oregon Medical Board for failure to comply with the law. Now, because of privacy reasons, we don't really get any information about this. So here you have a situation where we know at least one case, might have been more, but there was one case at least which there was a major complaint about with what happened, and the physician was referred to the Oregon Medical Board. But the data, the information, is really kept quite silent. So what's, what's interesting about this, if you look at other cases that medical boards deal with, so let's say a physician has been, uh, you know, abusing, as I say, prescriptions. They've been, uh, they've been doing things that are completely inappropriate. You'll see that in these, uh, go to these medical boards and they're dealing with uh, disciplinary hearings. It'll actually list the information. Now, because of privacy, it probably doesn't mention the patient's name, et cetera, but it'll list some of the information of what was going on. But with this, it doesn't. It keeps it quiet because it's just suicide. Uh, my point is sort of clear. Uh, you're talking about life and death, and they have no idea what happened to 106 people who received lethal drugs. I think that's pretty insane myself. And, uh, and, and I don't actually uh, uh, think there's any way else to look at this situation. And then they say, oh, well, this is, uh, this is all about you know, freedom and autonomy, and we've got oversight. There's no real oversight. That's just a lie. That's just... No. That's, and even if you look at the, the information, the Oregon Health Authority says we have no budget and we've been given no authority to investigate. So if you've given them no authority or budget to investigate and they're saying, well, we don't know what happened in 106 cases in 2021, uh, guess what? Um, that's pretty crazy because, once again, as I say, we're talking about life and death. So you just, when they get these drugs, so, you know, if a doctor prescribes it, I get that you can't say follow up with me in two weeks because you don't know. So the doctor really has no idea when they write these prescriptions if the individual is going to go pick it, pick the prescription up. That would be easy enough to find out through a pharmacy, right? But yes. you don't know if their intent is to use it you know, if they get, like, super sick or if they're planning on doing it immediately. I mean, there is no fail-safe with that. You're writing a prescription. They have a prescription. And when they walk out that door, you have absolutely no more contact with them. That's correct. How the law works is once the person has picked up the lethal drugs, there is no further oversight of the law. Now, what's actually almost silly, and I shouldn't use the word silly because it's pretty serious, but it is actually silly is the fact that the doctor who agrees to the assisted suicide, now there's a second doctor who has to agree that the doctor, what they said was, was reasonable or, or correct, but it is two doctors in the end who have to put in agreement. But there's one doctor who has to do the examination, etc. That's the same doctor who then writes the prescription. That's the same doctor who's required by law to send in a report. But if you look at the data, very inoften, very few times is that doctor actually there at the death. So you have a situation where you're asking doctors to report and they're rarely at the death. This is, uh, I think this is very, very important to point out the fact that there is really no oversight. And in fact, you have now 
situation where you've got people who then pick up this lethal dose, they, they bring it home, they might decide they're going to take it on the weekend or maybe they're going to say, oh, I'm going to wait a little bit longer, I'm feeling pretty good right now. And then as they go along, uh, who knows what happened? You have no idea what happened because there's no well, oversight of the law. What does the, yeah. the death certificate say? I mean, well, if, if, if you, you didn't do a toxicology... Well, the I'm death sorry? certificate is based on a lie. Because remember, the death certificate, if someone died by assisted suicide, the death certificate has to say that they died of their medical condition. So let's say you had cancer, as an example, and you received the lethal drugs, you take the lethal drugs, and you died of assisted suicide. According to the rules in Oregon and Canada and Washington State and California and all those other places, the death certificate is not to say assisted suicide. The death certificate says cancer. So they treat it as what? A natural death. Now, the problem yeah. is it's all about then lying further. Now, why they want to do this, they say, is based on privacy. They're all concerned that Alex Schattenberg is going to somehow get hold of all these different death certificates, which, first of all, is impossible. Sorry. You can't get hold of death certificates. I'm not a family member. I have no legal right to it. I'm not the power of attorney. I have no right. legal right to it anyway. But they say that they, the reason they do this, lying on death certificates as, a, as the reality, is because of privacy, and they're all concerned about these anti-assisted suicide people who are going to then shame people and everything. We can't get the death certificate anyway, so I don't know what that's about. Uh, mm-hmm. Not to say I even want it, but you know what I'm getting to. That's why they do it. They lie on death right. certificates. So that doesn't even help. Well, but it's the same thing with hospice, right? Because my mom says she died of congested heart failure. My mom was, died from a toxic overdose. The medication that I can look at to see, she was given you know, 100 micrograms of fentanyl, morphine, Ativan, constantly, even when she wasn't in pain. My mother died from an overdose, dehydration, and starvation, but her certificate says congestive heart failure. So hospice is right there alongside with the assisted suicide lying about the cause of death. They are murdering people the same way that people are being euthanized in the same way that um, assisted suicide. And you're right. These certificates are all inaccurate. They're all lies, and the doctors are signing. What can be more serious than someone's death certificate and that you could lie on that. I mean, you know, we already know that, you know, the HIPAA oath means nothing. But that you can lie on that is just insane. And and I want you to go over the fact of the doctors who will not do assisted suicide, and I want you to talk about what is happening to them, the ones that disagree with it. That's exactly it. So you have the whole issue of conscience, right? So there's a, there is a large group of physicians who have nothing to do with assisted suicide. In fact, the reason that the, uh, the, the different states that have legalized assisted suicide are now adding physician assistants and nurses, et cetera, to the list of who can do assisted suicide is because there's too few doctors willing to do it. So you have a, only a very small group of doctors willing to do it. But you also have doctors, of course, who want nothing to do with it because they believe killing is wrong. And there's quite a few of them, and not, not only Christian doctors, but obviously uh, these uh, groups who are part of the you know, Christian Medical Dental Society and groups like that, they're obviously part of that. They don't want anything to do with assisted suicide. But 
Recently, California, for instance, expanded its suicide law, and they passed Bill SB 380. One of the things that SB 380 did is it affected the conscience rights of physicians in California. So in California, the original laws that when they legalized assisted suicide, it gave physicians conscience rights. It said a physician doesn't have to participate in the act, and they don't have to refer for the act. So it did say that if you don't want anything to do with it, that's fine. You're free not to have anything to do with it. The law protects you. But then when they changed the law, what they did is they said that any request for assisted suicide, any request for assisted suicide becomes the first request. And it says that a physician who opposes assisted suicide must then refer the patient. Now, it did not say they must refer the patient to a doctor who will do the act. That's what's happening in Canada, which is even worse. Nonetheless, the first point was the problem. It said that every request is considered the first request. So let's say you're a doctor who doesn't believe in any way, shape, or form in killing anybody. You're just not. You're, you oppose assisted suicide. You oppose all these other horrible things that are going on. You're a doctor who believes in life. And someone asks you for assisted suicide, you say, I, I'll have nothing to do with that. You know, um, you know, I can't stop you from going to another. I'll, I'll help you live. I will help you be comfortable. I will not cause your death in any way, shape, or form, but I'm not going to assist your suicide. According to California law, that request to that doctor who's saying no becomes the first request. But what's important about that is the law requires two requests. So immediately you're forcing the doctor who wants nothing to do with it to be complicit in the act mm -hmm. simply because the right. law makes the doctor complicit in the act. So what's happening is the uh, Christian Medical Dental Society, uh, the Catholic Physicians Group, there's a group of them who have come together and they're, they are now launched a, launched a lawsuit to protect their conscience rights. And they're saying that this law now infringes upon the conscience rights, which are uh, recognized by the American Medical Association that recognized the law, but California has now taken that from them. So I, I think it's very serious because, of course, these issues are meaning. So what the, the law is saying is we don't care that you oppose killing. We don't care what your values are. Uh, you're going to do as we're telling you to do, and you're going to be complicit in the act. And, of course, they want nothing to do with it. But I'll go one step further. In Canada, it's, gotten even wor it's even worse than that. So in my own province of Ontario, doctors are required to do what they call an effective referral. So that's the next step. So what they're saying is, no, the doctor doesn't have to do euthanasia, uh, but if you get a request, you have to refer your patient to a doctor or a nurse who will do it. So that means you don't have to kill them, but you've got to send them to the killer. And this is the whole thing. Now, why is the assisted suicide euthanasia lobby so interested, of course, in, in uh, forcing physicians who oppose it to be part of it? And as I said, the first reason is that there's very few doctors willing to do it. So obviously speaking, access to killing, they're saying, requires doctors who want nothing to do with it to be somewhat complicit in the act. Now, of course, I think that's all crazy. Right off the bat, uh, you know, if, if someone believes something to be absolutely wrong, you should respect that. But on top of it, uh, killing is killing is killing. And <laughs> you're telling people they have to be involved with killing. That's just ridiculous. Um, but secondly, there's a whole other point. The doctors who are involved with killing, they don't want you telling them that what they're doing is wrong. Mm -hmm. And so what they're doing is they're forcing the other doctors to be somewhat complicit in the act 
and therefore they're saying, there you go. And it's not only not wrong what I'm doing, you're having to participate. So this right, is the you're referring. Thing going on. Yeah, you're, forced, you're being forced to refer. Now you would say, well, the doctor doesn't have to refer. You're right, the doctor doesn't have to refer, but they might lose their medical license then. Well, didn't they, they know, shut down one um, Catholic facility there because they did refuse to do it and they actually took their building over? Okay, so that wasn't even a Catholic facility. If it were okay. a Catholic facility, they wouldn't have done that. Uh, at the moment in Canada, Catholic facilities, I'm not saying they're perfect or they're wonderful or anything because I'm sure they've got their own problems too, but what I am saying is the, the government is respecting the Catholic facility at the moment. It was the Delta Hospice Society. So the Delta Hospice Society uh, decided from the beginning that they're not going to be killing people. They're not going to do it. They're not going to be complicit in it. And so, therefore, they have uh, stood up against the government and said, no, we're not doing it. And um, what happened is, is then the government defunded them, and it expropriated their building. And expropriated their building and defunded them. For what reason? Because they refused to kill. That was the reason. So um, I think the reason they were so harsh on the Delta Hospital Society is because they didn't want other groups standing up against them. So the best way to, how would you say, stomp on any opposition is the group that's willing to stand up. You stomp mm-hmm. on it very hard, and then everybody else will be silent by it. So there's a lot of hospice groups that are doing terrible things that you've been talking about and who have lost their way, who are not following the original uh, beliefs of Cicely Saunders, who founded the modern hospice movement. But the fact is the Delta Hospice Society, they had the position that we, we don't do that. We don't do that, and, and when euthanasia became legal, they said, we're not going to kill. We're not going to do it. We're not going to be complicit in it. Uh, our patients uh, can leave. They can leave. If they choose they want euthanasia, they can leave. We will leave. And actually, what was crazy about the situation is the hospital, which was right across the street, was doing euthanasia. So it wasn't an issue of, oh, you're denying people their rights. You know, no, Delta Hospice simply said, we're not, being, we're not going to do it, and they were defunded and shut down. Uh, mm-hmm. They're still existing because now they're trying to regroup and set up a private organization, which is not government-funded. That's what they're working on right now. Yeah, we, we actually um, have, we can go, go back, but we actually have a caller on the line. Marty? Yes, Marty. yes. Area code eight one three. Yeah, area code eight one three. You're live and on the on air. Hello, thank you for taking my call. My name is Michelle, and and I have a question. While I understand your your point um, about putting safeguards in place to protect the vulnerable population. Someone like myself who has worked more than 30 years in the healthcare field, my parents have passed. I do not have any kids. I'm alone. By, you know, I live my life. Um, why would you force your belief on someone like myself who, of sound mind, when I feel like it's my time to go, that I'm not given the opportunity and the right to make a decision that I feel is right for me, as opposed to being looked upon as if 
you want to kill yourself, you must have a mental illness. So I think this is an excellent question because this is exactly what the assisted suicide lobby says all the time. They talk about because someone's opposing assisted suicide that somehow we're denying somebody's rights. And in fact, it's not the case at all. Because why we oppose assisted suicide is, um, is because somebody else is now involved with causing your death. We believe that there should never be a situation in law where somebody else is causing death. So in the case of euthanasia, it would be lethal injection. In the case of suicide, it's somebody else who's agreeing that, that you know, yeah, you, you can die and here's your lethal drugs and this is what you need to do. They're directly and, uh, they're directly and uh, intentionally involved with causing another person's death. And this is not a safe thing within the culture. So if you want to die by suicide, I'm never going to tell you that's a good idea. But I will say that if you want your freedom, as you just mentioned, that would mean that you have to do it yourself. By, by involving other people, now it affects me. I'm not suggesting any way that I would ever want you to die by suicide. That's, the, that's not what I would ever suggest. But by asking someone else to prescribe lethal drugs, by asking someone else to be involved with injecting you to kill you, that affects me because now it becomes a societal question because it's not a self-act. It's an act of somebody else with you, and that's what we're opposed to somebody else being involved with causing the death of people. That's what we think is absolutely wrong. My life uh, is, is never to be in the situation where I should feel uh, worried because someone else has an attitude that maybe I shouldn't be alive. And, you know, they've, they've helped others, so maybe they, they're going to be thinking about helping me. I'll go one step further. I got a call recently from a woman, and she was all upset because her husband, who was approaching death, he was near death. He was, he was pretty far along the way, and she was telling me that her husband had been a pro-life leader in the 90s. Now, you would say, yeah, that's fine. He had been a pro-life. And I agree with you. That's fine. He had been a pro-life leader in the 90s. Euthanasia is legal in Canada. He's now asking for euthanasia. And she's calling me all upset, saying, I can't understand this. He never, ever, ever has supported euthanasia. Why is he asking for euthanasia? And so we had a long conversation about the situation and talked about it. And, of course, I had to acknowledge right off the bat, if he is to change his mind, because the law doesn't give her any rights, the law only gave him rights, he could ask for it. The doctor would have to do it, obviously. The fact is, as I said, she would have to talk to him. I said, I, I don't know your husband. You know your husband. You're going to have to talk to him. So we discussed it for quite a while. She called me back. He, he ended up not dying by euthanasia. He ended up, after she spent time with him, talking with him, he ended up changing his mind. He died a natural death. Nonetheless, she couldn't figure out why he was asking for euthanasia. And so what she found out is this actual nurse in the hospital had come up to her and said, you know, I spoke to your husband, you know, in the middle of the night about a week ago because he was going through a real difficult emotional time and he was having a very difficult time. But we had a long conversation in the middle of the night and I convinced him that maybe euthanasia was the best thing for him. So you're thinking, why should this not be legal? Because when I'm at my deepest, darkest time in my life, I'm more influenced. I'm going through a difficult time. I'm not a computer you can just program. I'm a human being who gets emotionally, psychologically affected, and I can be influenced. So you're saying today that you're strong and autonomous. That doesn't mean in your time of need you're going to be strong and autonomous. So... Uh, I think it's never a good idea to allow someone else to kill people. 
Well, I agree with that. No one should be forced. I mean, I was put in that position, and I had to take a stand. And I, I agree that no physician should be forced to prescribe medicines that they feel they should not. However, when there is not a mechanism in place to help someone that is of sound mind, that feels like they've had enough, you know, no one is asked, do they want to participate in this, what we call life? And it's, if we take strip everything away, religion, everything else, we're beings on this earth. And when you've had enough, you've had enough. And there are worse things than dying. It's so suicide's what- gone wrong that can be the worst part of it. So there should be a safety mechanism, as you have pointed out, and I agree, to help, again, to help the vulnerable. But to the, there, there is a population, when we've had enough, we've had enough. There needs to be something there to help them. There has to be a middle ground. When we so, broad, so where we disagree we is, is with life and death, there can't really be a middle ground. Because someone else is now involved with it. So you're saying there should be a situation where somebody else, as is going on in Oregon or Washington State and places like that, where somebody else is involved with approving it and then giving you lethal drugs and, uh, you know, maybe someone else is going to have to help you make sure it's done properly because it has to be done properly. Uh, Someone else should be involved in it. So now you're saying it's a societal act. It's okay for someone else to cause death. I tell you... I, I don't agree ever. I don't ever agree that it's okay for someone else to be involved with causing your death or my death. It's just not a safe thing. On top of it, it creates serious, serious problems further than that. I was recently, I'll give you another example. I was recently coming back from a, a meeting and I was on, a, I was on a, you know, a, a bus coming back and I was sitting beside a student and he was just sort of talking to me. And uh, he was asking what I do, and I told him, and he was a little bit silent. And then he said to me, he asked me a few questions, and I said to him exactly what I said to you now: I don't think it's ever a good idea for the law to give anybody the right to kill me or to kill you. I just, I just don't think that that's a good idea. I don't feel comfortable with it. It's not a good idea. It becomes about a society that allows killing, and that should never be the case. And that's what I'll say to you again: it should never be the case. You might feel there's times in your life where you'd want to die. I understand that. There's nothing new about that in the human condition, but it's a totally different thing to have somebody else in law able to do it. Well, I'll respectfully disagree with your... Fair enough. All right, thank you for taking my call. Okay. Good night. All right. But I personally don't feel safe in a society that would allow someone to kill me, though. I I don't think that's a safe society to live in, yeah, and I think what what she the point that she, if I can kind of step in, I think the point she was making is because she doesn't have an advocate for her that if it came to that point in time that she doesn't want to go to hospice and have hospice make that determination for her, right? That if, if she got to that point rather than somebody else to do that, that she wants to have the autonomy to say now is the time. That, that I want this to happen. I, I believe that's what she's saying 
because she doesn't have somebody else that would step in. Actually, pro assisted suicide. I think she's actually saying that there might come a time in her life where she would want uh, lethal drugs, and she thinks that if she's of sound mind, she should have it. But you know, you know, the problem with all of these things is that they're they're all nice in theory, but in reality, what does it mean? In reality, so you, so, so now we're just doing a, a secular conversation, obviously, because now it's divorced from any sort of basic ethics. Because what we're saying is, well, let's consider this. What does it actually mean? Well, in theory, it would mean, oh, well, in certain circumstances, someone should be involved with the act of causing death. And that's what's going on in many places already. But, you know, you can't limit those circumstances. So if we're going to actually have this theoretical talk, how are you going to limit those circumstances? So let me, let me go one step further. Is it right to say that it should only be for people who are six months from death? And you would say, well, that's actually a good definition. I'd say, well, is it? And how are you going to define that? And why wouldn't it be then for people with chronic conditions? Because, you know, some people with chronic conditions are actually suffering. So if you're suffering, why, why should you have to be six months from death? You know, and then the other thing is they'd say, well, well we should only have it for adults. And I'd say, well, what about the 16-year-old who's suffering? Are you going to deny it to the 16-year-old then? Isn't it discrimination to deny? You know, this is how the conversation goes. If you're going to allow killing, which is what we're talking about, the question then is can you actually, in the end, limit that killing? Once you say it's okay to kill, can we actually limit it? At the beginning, well, you can't you, you have a law, but you the, can't in the end. No, and for the sixth month, you know, when I look at six months, I, I don't think – you know, and I'm I'm sorry, but I'm anti-hospice, and, you know, my circumstances are that, and I just, I've seen too much of that. But if I look at six months, and I know they're trying to get people to enroll sooner, which means those people are going to die sooner, but if I'm looking at somebody who's got six months to live, that to me does not necessarily mean that you need to go under hospice and that you need hospice to be involved in your life. My I dad, agree. who passed in October, he he had me, and so I, he never went to a nursing home, he never went to the hospital, and he never went to hospice because I was there by his side and, you know, giving him droplets of water to the very bitter end because he was my daddy, and that's that's the way I was raised, and I took care of him. Unfortunately, everybody doesn't have that choice, and some of those people wind up in nursing homes, and they wind up in um you know, into hospice or they're in the hospital and they have nobody to take care of them. Those are the people that are most vulnerable for anything, you know, for hospice, for the hospital to take advantage, you know, for you to talk somebody into assisted suicide, you know, but, you know, I I just, I want to have an advocate, you know, for myself personally so that somebody can protect me from anybody else doing anything to me and hastening my death. I think that, you're absolutely that's, right. That's, my, think, yeah. that's my gut. And I think the important thing is how you care for your dad was exactly what you should be doing because that's what he needed, and that's what also makes you more human. We've lost something about ourselves when we start killing people. We lost some of our humanity when we start killing people because we become more base in our creature and our nature. We... We think that killing is an answer, when in fact what we really need to do is properly care for people. We need to be there for mm-hmm. people. And there are difficult times. Like, we know that. Like, 
a lot of people say, oh, well, you're just hiding the fact that there's going to be some difficult human conditions. I don't hide that fact. I recognize there are difficult human conditions. Right. Uh, you know, I've I've been around a, quite a bit of death, especially since I've been doing this job for so long. I've had quite a few people who I've been working with who were on the approach to death that, you know, you're you're talking to, you're trying to give good advice to, to help them so everything works out in the way that is the best optimum situation. But some of these situations are pretty tough, but that doesn't mean we we abandon them and we kill them. No, no, it doesn't mean that no. at all. And no, and I and I know I know in Michelle's in Michelle's defense that she is definitely not for killing anybody and she has she's an incredibly humane person taking care of people, right? So I know that that's that's not her. She doesn't believe in killing people either. She's just saying if I make that choice, and and the fact is there are facilities that do do that, um, uh, you know, and now with Oregon saying, you know, come come here to die. Um, I wanted to ask you a question that something that I see, you mentioned it earlier, New Mexico. Yeah. Um, okay, so I, rec- I just read today that they said that a judge ruled that patients have to receive a lethal dose of met a lethal dose of medication if they are terminally ill. Is that true? That, I have not have read anything to. like that. Like this has yes. to be very interesting. I've never okay, read I anything just, like that. Cause the, the New Mexico law is more, uh, how would you say, permissive in the fact that it, it doesn't have the same sort of uh, things as the Oregon law had. For instance, uh, it allowed more people to do the act. So uh, it also allowed that there'd only be one request. It didn't need two requests. It didn't need two approvals. One doctor Mm -hmm. or one nurse was enough. Uh, It also had a situation where there was uh, a much shorter waiting period, and the doctors could waive the waiting period, which is, of course, then the same-day death issue. So in the whole uh, New Mexico law, it was more about uh, making assisted suicide happen quickly. The other thing about uh, the assisted suicide law in uh, in uh, New Mexico is it didn't require the physician actually meet with the patient. So, therefore, it was open to the whole concept of approval by telehealth and things like that. And this becomes a serious problem because now you're talking about life and death, and the person never actually has to meet the person they're approving for killing. So, you know, it's, it's uh, a lot of these things become very concerning because they've widened the definitions, they've loosened it up, I'm not even saying there's ever a reason to do this, and yet they're, they've loosened it up much further. Um, what really killed me about the whole thing with the New Mexico case uh, is the fact that um, the legislators who were promoting this, who were supporting this, they were constantly lying about it. They were saying, this is the tightest law in America. And I kept on scratching my head thinking, well, I know this is just your talking points, but this is actually the loosest law in America, and there's no question about it being the loosest law in America. And, of course, after they passed it, the assisted suicide lobby was, uh, you know, clapping their hands saying, well, this is the first of this type of law, and hopefully future bills will all be like New Mexico, meaning much wider, much more, uh, how, much easier to kill. So, anyway, that's what's going on. I've never heard the saying that they have to. Uh, that's... Um, uh, I but you can send me the article and I'll see what it says and I'm happy to comment on it. Uh, where okay, about, yeah, where I'm going to send. Yeah, I'm going to send it to you because um, I, I sent it to Sarah. She actually responded to me, uh, but I, I, obviously I can't read it while I'm talking to you now. It was um, 
the Assisted Suicide States 2022 World Population Review dot com. Oh, yeah, okay. I'm going to I send that to yet, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just saw it today doing some research. Um, one other thing I wanted to uh, mention is that in Canada, because I know you guys, you know, euthanasia is legal as of 2016, but there was a guy there who had um, some illness where he was in a great deal of pain, and he wanted he was getting pain medication. And they told him that he could no longer get the medication, and his choices that he was given is either uh, euthanasia or live in pain. Do you remember that? It was just, I mean, it was not that well, long ago. Well, the case ago. that is similar to that was the Roger Foley. So I don't remember your specific case because in Canada, uh, painkilling is something that they would have provided no matter what. Uh, they're very uh, open with painkillers, but I uh, so. But Roger Foley uh, was in a different situation where he could not live anymore on his own, and he was saying they they said to him, so he was in the hospital because he had received food poisoning uh, from his caregiver, and so he decided that he was not going to go back home until they provided until the authorities provided him with self-directed care, meaning that he would be the one hiring his caregivers. Now, they do have that program in Ontario, so he wasn't asking for something that didn't exist, but the government refused it, and they said to him, well, Roger, you have the choice of euthanasia, or you can pay $1,500 a day for staying in the hospital. Those are your two choices. And, of course, uh, he, he then very much promoted the fact that the government saying to him, oh, you have the choice of euthanasia, you know, but you can't have self-directed care. Well, you can you can die, but you can't have self-directed care. In the end, the government did give him self-directed care, so he did receive what he was asking for, and that's because, of course, uh, Roger Foley then sued the government. He sued the hospital, and he got a lot of um, a lot of media, um, how would you say, attention for it. There was also another case, a very sad case in British Columbia, where a man who was uh, who had two young children and he had ALS. He did not want to die by euthanasia. He had no interest in dying by euthanasia, but he had a, his condition come to the point where he couldn't live at home anymore. He needed, he needed... That's the one. Yeah, he needed That's home care. That's the one care. that I'm thinking of. He okay. absolutely needed home care. And they said no, but there is a place in a nursing home you can go to, and it was two hours from his home. And so... Uh, they said, you know, we have a place for you. You can go. You can move to that place. There's a, there's a place but two hours from your home. And he thought, you mean, I'm never going to see my kids because it's a long way to go. I'm not going to see my family. I can't stay at home. I need home care to live. I can't, I can't live on my own anymore. It's not possible for me to do what needs to be done. My family can't do it anymore. I need help. And they said, that's your placement. It says, it's this nursing home It's two hours from where you live. So instead, he asked for euthanasia, and he died. Now, yeah. to me, that shows you the whole culture that we're in, because uh, you know the fact of him saying, I, "I I want home care, and so I can live in my home," and he's denied home care, and he's told, "Oh, you can live in a nursing home two hours away." There was also the case of uh, uh, the guy in Quebec. His name was Marchand, and he ended up uh, then uh, doing uh, a bit of. Uh, uh, he had this big thing last summer where he uh, had a, a cage set up in, uh, in front of the uh, legislature in Quebec, and he went and lived there 
so all the media would come and see him. Because what happened is that they told him he had to live in a nursing home, and he was saying the same thing. He had a disability, and he's saying, "I need, I need, I need home care. I want to live in my home. I don't want to live in a nursing home. I don't want to have a situation where I I'm, have no freedom left anymore. But my physical condition, I can't live, a, you know, without having a certain amount of care." And they refused it to him, so that's what he did. He did his, uh, he, uh, he he had someone set up a, a sort of a cage in front of the uh, legislature in Quebec, and he went in there for several days. And of course, the media made a big thing about it. So the Quebec premier said, "Okay, we'll give you home care." But you know, this, these are the realities in a culture that says that uh, you know you can have euthanasia because we're not going to provide you the home care, and you might need the mm-hmm. home care, but we're not going to let you have that. Or you can go to a nursing home, even though it's two hours away, and you can't see your family anymore. But you can have euthanasia. We can kill you. That's fine. Or you can... It's all about money. Well, it's about money. It's definitely about money. And in the case of this, it's it, also about eugenics. It's, it's, it's well, about saying certain lives are not worth living. And for, you, for them to be testing out new medication because the other medication is too expensive. That's, that is an insane thing to me that you would give somebody something that is painful and burns their throat and makes them sick, that you would do that when they've come in and, and you know, they're, they're going to die, but that you're going to give them these drugs that are going to give them a painful death? I mean, that's, that's just horrible. Se- on several occasions, I've published the information from some of these uh, reports that, that we get, and you don't get these reports. These are not common reports. And it shows clearly that the uh, suicide lobby, they use this drug for a period of time as an experiment, and they're saying, oh, well, it's not working because there's too many people screaming in pain, so we better lessen the dose. And then they say, oh, well, if we lessen the dose, make it so they're not in so much pain, well, now they're not dying, so now we're going to have to find something else to mix with it. But, you know, we're talking about human beings here, and they're playing games with the life and death of human beings in that way. I also said they broke the Nuremberg Code with this. Why am I saying that? Well, the Nuremberg Code says you're not allowed to do human experimentation without consent. Just because someone consented to have assisted suicide did not mean they consented to be part of human experimentation. You know, they, they are two different things. And, uh, and that's exactly what was going on, in, in my opinion, that they were breaking the Nuremberg Code. There's a second thing about the Nuremberg Code that they broke, and that's the Nuremberg Code said you're not allowed to do experimentation with the expectation that it will cause death. So, you know, these, these are the things that they were doing. Uh, there is a whole other sort of thing that comes up, because the whole issue of assisted suicide is sold as being, as I say, simple. It's a simple thing. We can just do this. And even for the previous caller, uh, the point comes down to, again, I can understand someone feeling this way, but it really isn't that simple. It's not that simple to kill people. It's not that simple to give the right to somebody else to be involved with killing people. You say, oh, well, we can have a little bit of death, so that's okay. Well, no, you won't get a little bit of death. You'll get a little bit at first, and then it'll grow. It becomes discrimination to deny it to one group when you're offering it to another. People forget that. because You can't say, oh, you can have it, but you can't. Well, I guess we're all supposed to be equal under the law, aren't we? Well, if we're all equal, then you can't deny it to me. It's the same way in Oregon where they just uh, reduced, they just got rid of the residency requirement. The doctor, the doctor argued that it is uh, discrimination to deny assisted suicide to an out-of-state patient. That's what he argued. Now, I think that argument would have failed in court, 
but instead of the government fighting it in court, which is how the case was launched, they decided to settle. So, you know, this is the kind of thing. When we're talking about assisted suicide also, how does this affect people with disability? Well, we, I just mentioned about the case in British Columbia of the man who had ALS, who needed home care, but instead they said, well, we can only give you a nursing home, and that's about two hours from your home. And so instead he said, well, I guess I'll take euthanasia then. Well, you know, you talk to people like Kathy Ledlam, who's a, who uh, is a disability uh, leader in Connecticut, who's been fighting we have one minute. suicide laws. We have one minute yeah. left, so... So I'm going to just, just finish with Kathy then. This is perfect. Okay. And she talks about okay. the fact that uh, she, during the COVID situation, had a very serious problem because how are you supposed to hire uh, care caregivers? And she has a disability that requires caregivers. She needs caregivers to live. And she says, so you're denying me a situation where I almost can't live, but you're telling me I can have assisted suicide. And I'm thinking... This is exactly what it's about. It's, it's not about freedom. It's not about choice. It's not about autonomy. It is about imposing death on a culture. That's what it is about. And it's a, it's a sad state of affairs when people feel, you know, the hopelessness of it. And when they had um, a young girl who actually was just depressed, I think that was in Canada or U- United Kingdom, yes, right. and she was, she was just depressed, and she was a teenager, and they yeah. allowed her, she'd lived her whole life, she'd been sexually abused, and they euthanized her. Well, that Assisted was another suicide. Dutch case, but yes, that's exactly, yes. And it's, yeah. it's tragic because the, the gates that are in place are not strict enough, and now, you know, Oregon has lessened those gates. So Absolutely. It, it's a sad state of affairs. Well, Alex, we could have gone on another hour. Um, but unfortunately our time is up and you've been great. You've given us a lot of information. I actually did have another question which I wanted to ask you about Bill C two thirty, Protection of Freedom. Um but well, the Freedom of Conscience Act, well I don't know if we have any time, but Kelly Block, a uh, member of Parliament here in Canada, has introduced uh, Bill C two thirty to protect conscience rights for physicians in Canada. And I already mentioned earlier how Canadian physicians are being forced to refer their patients to the killer. So they're, right. if they're not that, willing to do the act, they're being forced to refer. And we've lost okay. Canadian physicians who've left Canada because of this. Uh, they okay. said, um, you know, so this is what Bill okay. and we, is trying to protect them. Okay. Um, we, I believe we may be off air now. So um, if not, thank you to everybody, and thank you, Alex. And we will definitely have you back again. So and you can thank put you a link to much. my website with, uh, with the promotion of this. So very good. Thank you very much. Okay, I will do that. Okay, thank you very much. I'll talk to you later. Okay, bye-bye.